Welcome to The Truth in His Art. I am your host, Rob Lee. And today, I'm in conversation with a leading fashion and sustainability advisor, as well as a fashion design specialist based in New York. Please welcome Thomasine Dolan Dow. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you. So how are you today? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, so we have the we have the sun out. It was a little little rainy earlier, but we're here. We're here. Yeah, we're out here. We've arrived. Yeah. Yes, and we're in um, spacious, spacious. Uh, what part of New York are we in? Uh, we're in Soho. So you're in a loft in Soho. <sighs> I've, I've come up. <laughs> <laughs> this building used to be the well. All of Soho used to be an industrial area, and it was for manufacturing. Yeah. And this building uh, was for manufacturing. It was like a machine shop. Nice. In the eighteen, the late eighteen hundreds is when it was built. Hmm. Yeah, I had to I had to sign in when I got in here. It was like, are you a member? I was like, I don't know. no I'm kidding. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> so I gave literally the the cut and paste like introduction of what your background looks like and and what your your role is. It's literally from LinkedIn, as you you told me. Um, so could you share with us what your background is and um, what was your relationship with fashion when you were younger? Yeah. So. You know, my relationship with fashion when I was younger was, um, <laughs> I mean, there weren't any fashion magazines in my house growing up. It's funny because in my adult life, when I started wa- working amongst designers, you know, who they seem to have real, real ties to it. Like their mothers always had Vogue. Their mothers always had Vogue, uh, Bazaar. Their mothers always had these fashion magazines. Their mother shopped designer labels. And so they were coming from a very different place that I came from. Like, you know, the only... There were no fashion magazines in our house. Um, you know, so I would just buy my comic books and we'd go to the 7-Eleven, 7-Eleven and buy comic books and, and I would draw them. I would imitate those drawings and, and I loved the clothes they were wearing. So, and, so that combined with having two older sisters who were, each four years older than me, so four and then a total, and then eight years older than me. And their clothes to me were always like so exciting because they were just that much ahead of me, you know? They right. were more mature and they got to buy clothes that looked like fashion that was more like the, the girls in the comic books I was trying to draw. So I would always try their clothes on and wear their clothes and all that sort of stuff. So I just always loved fashion. Um, I didn't really know what it meant or what you do with that. I just thought I could draw it. And so that was my early beginning stages. Um, yeah, and then not knowing that it would lead to anything. So your your background is in the sustainability world, it's in the fashion world. So, so tell us about that career trajectory. Well, yeah, my background, well, before I got to that place, I, um, so I did go to the school at the Maryland Institute of Art. Yes. It, it wasn't called MICA back then. Like, it, no, was I, it was not. It was called the Maryland Institute, or it's actually, everybody just called it the Institute of Art. Um, I know that because when I had to do, I had a project I was working on and I had to go to a graphic design house and, and I, you know, humbly introduced myself as Thomasine from the Maryland Institute College of Art. And he's like, I can tell you're still a student, right? And I was like, yes, yes. And, uh, but anyway, cause I was studying graphic design at that point and illustration, uh, because Micah did not offer fashion courses at that time. They had used to, but they had stopped doing it. And so there was nowhere to study, and I was much too afraid to move to New York. There, there were just no, nobody ahead of me had done that. You know, um, people in my family hadn't gone to college, so there was just not a whole lot of guidance there. So, um, so I studied illustration, fashion, you know, in lieu of fashion design. Um, 
and also as I was going to night school um, and working full time for the Food and Drug Administration on um, Howard Street. Um, I forget what the located, but anyway, downtown. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, working for them and going to school at night and and then so then I moved out to LA with some friends and I it was really just for a summer. It was like let's just have fun for summer and then we'll go back and start our real lives, you know, in Baltimore after after the summer's over. And while I was out there I just got incredibly bored. Like after a month it was just just really boring. You can only go to the beach so much and and um, so I got a job, and I got a job in advertising. And uh, I mean, I worked my way up. I wasn't like hired as an art director. I worked my way into that position. I was was working in the research department, and just would every chance I had, I would go to the art department and be like, "Hey, do you need any help with your storyboards?" Or, hey guys, yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> hey, hi. I'm on the 14th floor, um, and uh, so I just so I did. I, and they'd be like, "Yeah, sure." So I'd work nights doing extra, you know, extra work for the art directors and et cetera, et cetera. So eventually, I did work my way up into. Being becoming a junior art director for an ad agency out there. And then, so it wasn't until I moved to New York then. So we stayed there for three years. I, I was I was just tired of being surrounded by people who didn't seem to be reading. Like, it was so, like, I was in the best shape of my life. I was always riding my bike and going to the beach. But, like, I just felt like, you know, has anybody read a book? <laughs> like, do you read the newspaper even? And, you know, it was like I was being too flattered by people thinking that I had a big vocabulary and I was like my, you know just that you don't have a vocabulary <laughs> so um, anyway so I was sort of craving something bigger and so I moved to we decided to move to New York and not having ever lived here didn't have any contacts here um, and we moved and we arrived on the Upper West Side which is kind of a weird place for someone in their 20s to you know single person but we we stayed there but it was during this time we um, we threw a party and um, one of the people there was a fashion designer and it was this guy named Charles Nolan and I um, it all came flooding back to me it was just like oh, this is what I really want to do and I kind of it was before cell phones so I kind of um, Stalked him in a non, in a legal way, <laughs> in, a, okay. in, a, in a healthy legal way, and would call him just on the telephone on the landline, and you know, hey, it's you know me, and can I show you some sketches? Can I show you drawings? And eventually, he did look at them, and he had his own comments and criticisms, and fair, they were all fair, and for some reason or other, he hired me as an assistant. Um, he had just gotten this job, and he needed another assistant. The smart thing about him, though, was one of his assistants went to FIT, so went mm -hmm. to fashion school, so that I came in not really knowing much at all. And so I felt like she was training me to some degree. Um, so that was really the beginning of it. And then, but the, the tricky part was after a year, he was fired, which <laughs> meant the design team was fired because oh. we were part of him. We were like on his coattails. And so that I lost my job with barely any experience and that was what I wanted to do. Right. Um, so that was a bit tricky. Um, but I, uh, I just like, I just kept at it and just kept sketching and drawing and trying to build a portfolio. And he would meet with me and like, you know, look at my sketches and yeah. try it out my portfolio. And then I just started cold calling, like, 
back back when you could cold call by literally showing up at an office building, figure out which floor the company is on, and you know, just like just walk into a lobby and there's a receptionist there and you introduce yourself and, and that's what I did. And one of the places I did that to was Ralph Lauren. Yeah. Um, Ralph Lauren at that time had their own little building. It was kind of like it was very much like an atelier. It was like most places in New York were not like that. It was literally a former house. Mm-hmm. So it was like a five story house on 56th Street or 55th Street um, between 5th and 6th Avenues. And that was one of the places I cold called. And I I went back over four different interviews each time, like, you know, what am I going to wear? Because it's all about the outfit and Ralph Lauren is so specific and could I pull it together? And uh, anyway, but after, eventually they offered me a job there. So that was, I feel like that was really the beginning. The first was kind of like a a test. Do I really want to be in this business? Like, you know, when I had that first job and then when I started with Ralph Lauren, that was kind of like the beginning for me. So... It's one of my, it's one of my favorite brands right there. And you know, when I saw that in the bio, I marked out. I was like, oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> I remember it was one one period where I, I went through a process where I'd, I'd lost a bunch of weight and I had all of this, um, this the, these these rugbies and things that were in the crib that were unpopped. The tags were still on there, and I was like. What am I going to do with these? I can't fit these. People are lining up. It's like, oh, I can take those off your hand. I'm like, you wear half what I currently wear, so you're never going to fit that. <laughs> it was it was a challenge letting those go. Uh, so, so speak to me a, a bit about where you're at in your career, namely the uh, Material Innovation Initiative (MM MII) um, as a fashion design specialist. Yeah. So that was. Um, I'm so happy to be doing what I'm doing right now, I have to say, because like, I, after putting 20 years, actually more than 20 years into fashion, which is like just creating product, 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 a lot of product, um, and then hitting that, that moment where you're like, you know, the breaks are like, wait a minute, what am I doing with my life here? What, you know, and, and is this how I want to go out? Is like just making more stuff in the world? And um, so... I, you know, I'd also, it was combined with like looking around at the landscape and I don't know who else I want to work for, who's doing something responsibly. I mean, Eileen Fisher is a women's brand that's been doing it since its inception. Um, it wasn't the aesthetic that, right. that I was drawn to. So ultimately I just decided I need to make a shift. I'm just going to like learn everything I can about sustainability. So I took courses, um, read everything I could read. I started creating my own, I did create my own glossary. So I have like a 20 page glossary of things that relate to uh, sustainability and fashion. Um, and even beyond that, because it also extends to farming and regenerative agriculture and all that sort of thing, which I didn't realize once I started deep diving into fashion sustainability, you learn about farming. And, uh, so, and there's all sorts of other stuff that goes along with it, of course. So I was during that process that I met the founders of MII, and they were really interesting women. They both came from, one is a trained lawyer, um, and the other is a serial entrepreneur. So, but they had worked together creating this ecosystem for the plant-based food movement Mm -hmm. that happened like 10, 12 years ago. So they were really instrumental in launching, getting all these brands launched to to put plant-based foods out on the market that were affordable and comparative 
to prices as like meat-based you know, sure. meat products. So they had this they had this thing that they did that was hugely successful, and then they were smart enough to you know be paying attention to what else is happening in the world, which was like fashion is being blamed right now for a lot of dirty practices, and so their idea was like I think we can take what we did for plants and meat-based mm-hmm. products and do that for materials. Right. So it was like this mirror. Um, this mirror image that they had in mind. So I, like I said, I was lucky enough to meet them and I could bring to the table what I knew about fabric materials and, you know, how they, what they require energy wise. Um, because that's where, that's where most of the, um, the emissions happen from, from materials. It's, I mean, front and fashion, it's from the materials aspect of it. And again, so these women were focusing on animal-based materials, which mm-hmm. include leather, obviously, but also wool, silk, down, uh, from chickens and, and goose and, and geese, I should say, and, um, then exotic skin. So they were focused, focused on the animal-based fabrics, which I thought was really interesting because when you start learning about farming uh, as it pertains to the environment, you quickly learn that industrial agriculture is a really big factor in, you know, um, bringing down the planet. Um, So, so that was great. So yeah. So in working with them, establishing a foothold and and getting people to believe in us. And so they also, you know, hired uh, a scientist and they hired another innovation person who was with them um, in the, when they were, it was called the Good Food Institute, GFI is where they came from. And so they brought a few people along who worked with them there. And so I, again, I was holding down the, the fashion pillar, but they had, you know, all these other skills of knowing how to build a business, which I didn't know how to build that kind of a business. And quickly within two years, like we're, we're like a source now because of the scientific work that's gone into it, as well as the, the innovation work in terms of, um, where people are putting their money, like investors and brands and looking at the landscapes on those two things because there's a ton of investment that's gone into these material startup companies um, and the brands are definitely eager to get them. Not a lot of them are ready yet because they're still in R&D. And anyway, so that's that's kind of the MI, I think. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I have to figure out how to get shorter with answers. Like, no. I'm just like, you're going to start falling asleep soon. No, absolutely not. Watching your eyelids flutter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've, I've had uh, not enough coffee today. <laughs> and uh, late night yesterday. Um, so what would be that, that seminal moment? And, and you may have touched on it. What would be that seminal moment um, for you that you knew that you wanted to go into fashion? I think you touched on it. Oh, yeah, that was the party. Yeah, but uh, it's it, so... Yeah, so that that'll bring me to this next question then. Huh. <laughs> so I, I think this is the gems when you kind of look back. What what is something you know now that you wish you knew when you started? Out? Like something like a big thing because there's many things. Like as I was so describing, many. yeah, so many. <laughs> when we you know were first talking, like man, I wish I knew certain things about audio when I started this like 13 mm-hmm. years ago. Mm-hmm. Now I'm like, oh yeah, that's not the click, click, boom, I'm done. Mm-hmm. Now, so so what would that look like for you? There are a couple of things, and it's a it's a really interesting question that I I hope people do reflect on, especially when they're in their 20s starting out. So for me. 
when, because I moved to New York after LA and I'd already put like a couple of years into this other industry, which would be graphic design and advertising. Mm -hmm. And so by the time I moved to New York, I was already in my mid twenties and I felt this panic about, no, I need to get in my career. And and so rather than spending, just taking another like two years to really learn about like fashion in terms of pattern making Mm -hmm. and the more technical side of fashion because I didn't really have that. And I always, and I learned on the job for sure. I learned on the job, but I always felt kind of like I was faking it because everybody I was working with, like had that technical skill, that background of being able to make a pattern. They made garments, they put on collections. And so I always felt kind of, um, I I hate to use the word imposter syndrome, but it always, you know, that always lived with me. And I, but at the time, I was like, no, 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 I have to make money. I have to make money. I've got rent to pay. And I was so worried about not having money. Where in hindsight, I'm like, God, I could have done it. I could have, I could have done that, gotten a degree and made money doing something, you know, to pay for the tuition or whatever. I could have done it. So there, that was a big one that I still, you know, feel like haunted by now. And the other one is, I think, being really honest with everyone you're working with. And when you don't know something, admit it. Like, yeah. I, when they're saying something, you don't know what they're talking about. Like you have to be honest and figure out how to be honest in a way that shows you're paying attention and you care. And that's why you're asking the question. And then the last thing I would say is like, especially when you're in your twenties, you don't realize that these same people you're working with are going to pop up in your professional life, like 20 years down the road. And they may be the one that's hiring you as a boss. So like, really be polite, <laughs> really be decent to people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and don't, cause the, again, the fashion world can get pretty catty, can very gossipy. Um, so just know that this group you're with, like they, they might have hiring power 10, 20 years down the road. So yeah. <laughs> What's that saying? Be careful of the people that you step over as you go up that ladder. It's a paraphrase, obviously, because yeah. you probably will see them when you're coming back down yes. at a point. Yes. And, and I think that that notion of feeling like you have it all figured out in your twenties, that's a thing that's still happening. And I, I had a complete career shift. Like I started this pursuit at like 24 because I felt like I was burnt out at 24 and it was just like I'm doing all of this cool stuff and I'm making good money but really I don't feel uh, sated creatively Mm -hmm. and I was like oh let me do this data sheet let me do this let me put together these TPS reports wow well (laughs) you're clearly a quick learner I I (laughs) felt like I was learning all the time so but you're and you studied sort some of that stuff in school so you've, you've had that like that layer of confidence under you probably. So it's, I understand why you maybe got bored quickly. Yeah. And then there's that dynamic, like, you know, degree of difficulty, right? My, with all of the stuff that I kind of knew of, I worked in a Spanish speaking call center when I started out and I don't speak Spanish. So it's just like, <laughs> Hey, go ahead and just, just piss it all away. It's fine. <laughs> you know, that leg up that you had. <laughs> so, so obviously, like, you know, we connected initially on, um, on LinkedIn. So that's, that's a social media platform, right? Yeah. So, so what, what role do you think that social media plays in fashion today? And, and tell me how mindset 
Well, actually, that's that's a whole separate question. Having them together, that's a separate question. Tell me about the role that that, that social media plays in fashion today. Mm-hmm. I would I would carve LinkedIn out of that because I think LinkedIn is is a force for good for the most part because it does connect people and gives you access to people because you can't cold call people the way I did back in the day. <laughs> um, so I would carve that as a separate thing. But I think that social media with fashion. Um, I don't know. I just I definitely struggle with it at times because it it doesn't always promote the best things. Um, and it just you know right now one of the problems with fashion is the cycles. Like I think I mentioned before, like we have so much product in the world and the deliveries and the drops and retailers wanting more and more and more and people wanting more and more and more. There's always this like this um, avarice for more stuff Mm -hmm. and I feel like social media often creates that like I need that I need that and you know and then unfortunately like not all people who need that need that can afford to buy the really good stuff you know Mm -hmm. which is never going to get thrown out or go to landfill it'll get handed down or shared with friends or whatever but unfortunately a lot of the I need that I need that comes with you know cheap clothes and fast fashion and so then it's like it's good enough for this party and then yeah I'm just gonna throw it out um, and so we have overconsumption and I think that social media like TikTok and some great Instagram it's constant shop everything is shopping right now yeah. it's like shopping is the national sport yeah. and 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 I just feel like that's not that's not good um, so I do feel like that's been a bad thing for fashion as well as um, from the brands, the fashion brands, they constantly feel the need to replenish and update and send more. And there's, it's just a lot of noise out there right now. Yeah, that's, that's legit. I mean, I'll go and look for a few things. I, I, I like a few brands. I enjoy a few brands. And then suddenly in my Instagram feed, it's like, uh, can you leave me alone? The targeted ads. I, oh I don't want Oh my God, the targeted those. ads. I know. I know. Yeah. Well, you're, you're a step ahead of most people. Most people don't know what their thing is, what their look is, what their, who their brands are. And that's something I feel like, I mean, I'm in the business, so like you would assume I would know that, but I feel like it took me years to hone that, you know, just like, this is my color palette. Like, I don't, you know, you can say I'm pretty much wearing three of those colors right now, like navy, gray, and white. Um, And I feel like I learned that I didn't learn that then, but there was this moment in time when I was working for Armani Exchange and we would go to Milan and work with Mr. Armani. So with Giorgio Armani, I was like, oh my God, I'm working with Giorgio Armani. What is happening? How my life is so crazy. And like, because he was kind of at his height back in that at that point. This was like, oh God, it was in the 90s. Um, so he was really, really huge. And so we would go there to work on stuff. And... Um, I remember like, so I would always read everything about him. And one interview I read this thing about him is like, you know, I only wear navy blue. It's, I wear, I, wear, I love navy blue. He, like his car is navy blue, his clothes are navy blue. Everything is navy blue. He has like bright blue eyes. And it's just like, it works for him. That's hard. And it really got me thinking about like, that's a smart strategy, you know? And then from then on, I was like, the whole idea of like your clothes as uniform. And I realized how that simplified things for me. Mm-hmm. Like if I can create a uniform, using certain colors and I, I know I, you know, button down shirts. That's my thing. I like button front shirts 
whatever. And then the colors, and suddenly your wardrobe kind of works with everything. Yeah. It can always go front to backwards to, and like, and the other thing is like, it's not out of date necessarily so quickly. If you, you know, know what your palette is, know what knows, you know what looks good on you, et cetera. So I'm, I'm, I think I got way off tangent. Oh, no, 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 That's, that's a gem right there. <laughs> okay. And I, I think it kind of ties into what that, that the, the, the next question is, um, Tell, tell me how mindset, perhaps self-acceptance, uh, plays into that personal fashion sense. Because um, mm, yeah, yeah. yeah, people like I, I'm, I don't know what mm -hmm. what my color palette is yet. <laughs> I, I, I'm told it's somewhere in the middle. It's like, oh yeah, you like burgundy, you should wear more burgundy. I'm like, yeah, sure, why not? But I, I don't know what it is. But um, I find that if I wear a certain article, have you like? I'll throw on Carhartt because I'm going to work. I'll throw on my ridiculous artist rings. It's like, oh yeah, this is, I'm working right now. And so mm -hmm. I'm wearing these rings, I'm working. So tell me about that, that how mindset kind of plays a role into your personal fashion sense. Yeah. That's it. There, I feel like I would break it into two chapters. There was like my, my younger years in my, you know, teenage through thirties, quite honestly, or through eh, maybe not all my thirties, but like early thirties. Um, I could, I did a lot more experimental looks, you know, I just was like, and pushing in there, I was, and it was always, you know, vintage mixed with whatever. Um, and you know, you can, you can get away with a lot of stuff when you're in your twenties. And so, and I was definitely influenced by, you know, music videos. MTV was a new thing. <laughs> like you could never imagine. And it played music. Um, I know. What's that? What? Yeah. No one, should, someone should have told them. Um, and so I, so that influenced me and, and I felt really comfortable with that. And I think I should back up a little bit. I think that some of the things that informed me in my life now, and even then was, um, so I went to a Catholic school for like the first you know, six grades and there's something about the Catholic uniform, which goes back to that uniform idea. Yeah. Like it was and not that I wanted to go to schools to wear a uniform, like, uh, cause when I had the chance to leave and go to public school, so I go whatever I want, I, you know, jumped at that chance. But I do realize like, I really like uniforms. I mean, I like marching band uniforms. I like sports uniforms. I like school uniforms. Um, so that kind of was a good place for me to, to be. And so playing around with that and how to make that uniform idea like more interesting. And so like you see Tom Brown, I don't know if you know his fashions, but like he definitely plays around with uniform and, and in extreme ways, um, which I love. And so for me, I played around with uniforms in my ways to make it work and you know, so that was a fun, so that was like one side. And then for me now, I feel like, um, I have confidence. I definitely have confidence with what I wear because I just, and that comes with age. Like, you know, like I know, I, I know who I am. I know what I am and, um, and I know what looks good on me. So I, I don't know that all women or men get to that place. But, um, for me, it, you know, I feel very confident with my choices. Yeah. Um, and I also know, you know, I also tend to buy things that are, I want to say, somewhat timeless. Yeah, somewhat yeah. timeless. Uh, and that also plays into sustainability, which is if you're going to, like, go ham on buying trendy things, you know, that's that's when you get into trouble, right? But but it's, it's one thing is buying cheap and trendy, and then they're buying expensive and trendy. Mm -hmm. Cheap and trendy is going to definitely go in the trash before you get to the next year. Expensive and trendy, you're going to save it because that trend is likely to come back around in five years or so. So I, I still have stuff in my closet. Like I have, 
I have stuff from junior high, middle school, like like Levi's corduroys. Like I still have, I still wear them, and like and I get compliments on them because they're like they're like a pale pale yellow. And so anyway, so I think it's knowing how to to shop things and like knowing when to spend a little more money on something, you know, yeah. like a decent pair of shoes that you know that yeah. yeah so that's that's a that's akin at least in my head the way that I'm kind of formulating it to. Like when someone is planning out like something in data, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, let's say the the currency which you're spending on it is the time. You might spend a lot of time on planning and coding this thing out, but in the back end, you're really going to appreciate the time that you put in because you could just run that code and it's going to save you time later. Yeah, but you got to yeah, put yeah. that time in on the front end. Yeah. And secondly, the thing that I thought of was um, the oldest article of clothing that I have is like this. Russell t-shirt, but it was my high school t-shirt. Oh, so, so super nostalgic. It's from 1999. Wow. <laughs> and it still, it actually fits a lot better. I was like, how big was I then? Because I am a bigger person now. And I was like, this is loose on me. I was like, what was the fashion we had going on? I can't find the shorts. Oh, 90s um, fashion. Okay. So I have to think about that. Yeah. It was essentially, I was wearing a caftan that was made out of cotton. It was, it's not great. It's not great. Um, <laughs> So, I, I think <laughs> I think the world can beat you down as a creative, like just mm. that's hard stop, yeah. uh, bad reviews, long hours, and, and people can be unkind. Um, share any any tips or lessons that you've learned to remain optimistic. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> yeah, that is like first response is a laugh, a, a nervous laugh. Um, I think that. I, I mean, I naturally am an optimistic person, but when you catch wind of something negative that someone said about you or maybe wrote about you, it's really harsh. And you have, for me, like you have like a really bad day, at least a bad day, maybe a couple of bad days. And then I work really hard to compartmentalize it mm. and put it in a drawer and close it and just like push that drawer in because it, otherwise it will eat away at me. And I think it's a special talent I have for being able to do that because, you know, some people in my own family, like I see they don't have that ability and, and something will eat away at them more and more. And I keep trying to like remind them of the good things. I do that with myself. I remind myself of, you know, not just good experiences I had, but when people said nice things to me and, you know, that's really rewarding. You know, they, they complimented the work I did or they appreciated the work I did or, you know, the things that, so I have to always remind myself of those good things because otherwise the bad stuff can really bring you down and it, it's really demotivating. And that's the biggest thing is like when you know you have work to do, mm-hmm. you can't let yourself be caught off track by demotivating things that are, that are negative, you know, cause that's a real, it's a real work stopper. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's important. I, I, I kind of use something similar, use an approach that's similar. And it was something I, I think I saw in a video. I forget who it was. It was something sports related. That's another thing that's popping up in my Instagram feed. And uh, it, it was something where the person speaking, he's like, you know, however, the best you were versus the worst you were perceived, however that's framed. Okay. You're never either. You're, you're somewhere in the middle. He's like, just yeah. remember that. So someone just takes yeah. a shot that sucks and it hurts. Put that in this box, compartmentalize it, all yeah. of that. And when you have those wins, do do the same and just stay on whatever that path is that you're doing. Be be yeah. accountable to yourself. Yeah. And 
It's hard to lead with that. You try to lead with that positive thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not always hard, but you, like I really, it, it's such a mental game. It's totally yes. in your head. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. I think it play a role in, in, in kind of what you're creating and how you're going about things. It's like, huh, well, maybe I should do less interviews. Maybe I should do uh, shorter ones, or maybe I should change the type of questions. And it's it's interesting where, you know, this is like podcasting is very feedback oriented. Like how many reviews you live and die with those reviews and live and die with those downloads. Oh, and, yeah. you know, you're getting it almost instantaneous. Uh-huh. And it's not regarded as an art the way, let's say, visual art or mural or music is regarded. So you're really looking for that feedback loop. And, yeah. you know, you might get one comment on an episode. And if it's something that's negative, it's like, well, everything's bad. Moving yeah, on. Yeah, <laughs> no, you have to find those positive things to keep you going. Because, like, yeah, there might be a couple of bad things. But then if you know that you made one person happy or, and the, like, like hang your head on that, focus on that and know that there's more of that too. Those are just the people who spoke up, you know, and that's the other thing is like, sometimes the people who speak up, they're speaking up because they're negative. Like the the people who are happy don't always feel the need to comment, you know? So here's the last real question I have. And you know that you're not escaping this podcast (laughs) without getting rapid fire questions because everyone gets rapid fire. It's like everyone, you know, back in the day, everyone gets drafted. Uh, (laughs) Uh, So with regard to the fashion industry um, or, or even outside, I'll I'll broaden it a little bit. If you can have both, that'd be great. Um, What is the greatest modern invention? You can go fashion oriented and outside of fashion. Yeah, actually, I'll, I'll stick within fashion, but like the fashion as we know it, and then like fashion going forward. Sure. I mean, outside of the sewing machine, you know, that's outside of that. I think technology. So that's like, and I think that's probably one of the greatest inventions for a lot of industries. But technology is is speeding up and fast forwarding progress in so many ways. Um, it's given technology has given us tools to track transparency along the supply chain. Um, so we can really find out where things are going. Technology is helping us with the environment to, um, to work with farming farmers and to work with, um, technology has given us closed loop water systems so that we can just keep recycling the same water as opposed to using new water and then putting the dirty stuff into the streams and rivers. So technology is just, um, from engineering to algorithms to it's just, it's, it's really having, it has the potential to have like the greatest impact I would say. And right now, like interestingly, we haven't had an industrial revolution since like the end of the 1700s into the early 1800s, yeah. like machinery and stuff. And right now, I feel like we're in we're in an industrial revolution right now. It has to do with technology, and uh, so that's probably one of the most exciting things. Like it's you don't know you're living in history, but we are. Um, this and hopefully this one we can call it a clean one because the last one was super dirty. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, thank you for answering all of my real questions, and now it's time to get weird. Right. <laughs> uh, so, I have, uh, I think I got like seven of them. Um, so, so you know how fat, you know how rapid fire questions work. I do. Yeah. All right. I've never been the recipient of them, but I, but I've, I've watched them and heard okay. them. Yes. Uh, who 
are or who is uh, a, a muse for you, fashion icon for you? Share who comes to mind when it comes to, like, who's got really good fashion? You're like, you know what? I appreciate that. I dig that. Yeah, it tends to be a lot of British women. Um, and I'm trying to think of who comes to mind right now. There's like, uh, shoot, I can't put a name to it, but I tend to like, like a lot of American women I feel like can be, um, there's a little bit, a lot of focus on sexy, mm-hmm. like sexy, sexy, like, like cleavage, sexy. And I feel like British women, like the ones whose style I really like, they tend to be a lot more demure, but like super fashionable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I appreciate that. So it's women who, um, I'm trying to think of designers in like, I'm not necessarily Chloe, but um, any, uh, yeah. So there's some brands that I. Sorry, I can't give you a person, but I'm also no, making fine. a group of British women. <laughs> that's, that's, that's really fun. weird. But it, it at least gives someone like an angle. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah there you go. That's yeah. like, <laughs> a narrow angle. British women. <laughs> I know that's like, oh, that's bizarre. <laughs> but I, I remember because um, I've been on this deep dive, this Robert Greene deep dive, and they were talking about like um, he was talking about like Coco Chanel's like kind of rebrand of her stuff in this kind of second wave. And I was like, oh yeah, like. American women's, their sensibilities more connected to what she was doing. And I was like, huh, being yeah. that she's clearly not American. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, and, and like, well, the thing, but the, the connection would be Coco Chanel really kind of was the gateway to um, sportswear, not like certainly more casual. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still, you'd still think of Chanel like when Coco was there, it was, it's dressy compared to, you know, how we think about it now. But like she made things a lot more relaxed than women were used to because everything was so nipped in mm-hmm. and tailored and slightly uncomfortable. And she was making clothes that were comfortable. And then, so I feel like she was a gateway for American designers to invent sportswear. So that, because that was really invented here yeah. by um, American designers. You've gotten weird with it with uh, athleisure there. Well, now we've taken it to another place. Yeah. yeah. I can't go to coffee shops and see like weekend warriors wearing the same leggings. And I can't even, don't get me started on leggings. <sighs> that they've become a staple for women is so depressing for me. <laughs> Not to mention they ruin the planet. Like, cause they're all like stretchy, non-biodegradable materials that are completely petrochemical. So yeah. I get so like, I just hate leggings talk so much. That talk. Yeah. <laughs> Change out the leggings, something different. Uh, <laughs> what are three words that would describe your fashion sense? Um, uniform, uh, masculine, and um, tailored. It's, it's, it's giving Tilda. It's, it's giving Glenn Close. It's giving... <laughs> Tilda for sure. I don't know about Glenn Close, but definitely to like old Diane, like Diane Keaton actually, like she's, you yeah. know, she's always sort of handled that. And, um, and like old, when I say old, I mean like from the seventies. Um, oh crap, what's her name? She was a really beautiful model. Um, still alive. Gap tooth. Lauren, Lauren Hutton, yeah, Lauren Hutton, um, like great sort of quasi masculine style. Um, yeah. So, um, anyway. 10 out of 10. um, do you have a favorite era of fashion? Like, uh, like what was it? comes to mind for you? Yeah. Ooh, that's a, de- I mean, we're getting around Lauren. You definitely go through the decades of, of references. Um, 
You know, the 70s gave us a lot. They gave us a lot of good and a lot of bad. But I like fashion keeps dipping into the 70s like it's an endless pot. It's like we just keep going there all the time. And I don't mind it. I'm not mad at it. I'm not mad at it at all. Um, so there's, I don't know, the 70s were like, like the best and the worst of. It was like polyester and like disco and stuff. But there was like some really cool stuff too. Um I go back and look at like your Earth, Wind, and Fire albums, and and like the Spinners, and and like all like musicians and what they were wearing. And then there was like the hippie version, like the super. There was like the really like keyed up, you know, disco version. And there was the hippie version of the '70s. It covered so much yeah. ground. It covered so much ground. Um, that was really interesting. That being said, I do like. 60s it was a lot more um, especially 60s men's yeah. 60s men's looks were really good they were pretty trim yeah. um, whereas like six, 70s men's looks not so much like because <laughs> uh, that went into like weird, really weird leisure suit land like, and, uh, and <laughs> what are we wearing uh, yeah and I was like not not great for men especially but um, yeah but 60s men's was good and uh, I like so much I like so much I mean 50s is probably my least favorite mm. um but, a little too buttoned up in a certain way. Well, it was like, it, it just feels very, um, like for women, it felt very housewifey, mm. you know, like yeah. nipped in waist, big skirt. Um, and yeah, it just felt like uncomfortable. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I like the kind of like border between like the late 80s and early 90s but I definitely mm-hmm. thought of what you were saying when it comes to like you got some good you got some bad yeah and I'm like huh color block that's cool uh, crisscross backward clothing not, not as cool. cool yeah no but the 80s now so I was living in LA in the 80s and like it was like pastels and and graphic elements were everywhere and and um yeah that was a that was a pretty fun era like like asymmetry was yeah. you know kind of a big thing and again I always think about like musicians and bands because like that was because everything was MTV for, mm-hmm. for like every influence to me came from an MTV and like what Michael Jackson was wearing what the Go-Go's were wearing like I was like drawing from those two and I'd put that my outfit would be created by like borrowing from Michael Jackson with loafers <laughs> and paper bagging my shorts to the Go-Go's with an asymmetrical like pastel colored top you know <laughs> I, I went through my uh, I, so I, I have a closet that has like all of my fitted caps in there because I used to dress like a rapper from circa 2004 and uh, I was like I remember when I bought this hat I was like man 2010 was a great year because sometimes the hats will have like the year that they, they did it Oh, and I was like yeah yeah Crooks and Castles baby oh wow I spent $75 in this hat. Wow, I'm bugging out. Wow, and that's I was like, I haven't pricey. Worn this in a while, and yeah. but I but I keep it because it's like to me is is it's almost like like art in some regards. Or even um, I have this one thing. This is so corny and ridiculous. Um, so I have a an authentic Orioles jersey <gasps> hung on my wall. Wow, who's <laughs> the player? It was custom. It was my own. <laughs> oh, you had your name on it. <laughs> yes, and um, I worked there when I was an undergrad too. I worked there for three years, so you know there, there was at Memorial Stadium or was it Camden Yards? Camden Yards. Okay, and so it, it was that layer there. But when they changed the jerseys, because I was there for this town hall thing, uh, so the year after I left and I went off to my real job with with the the, the phone company, um, I noticed that one of the things that was mentioned, we want to see Baltimore on the jersey. New York, they had theirs. Boston has theirs. We want respect. That's what the you know season ticket holders wanted. And it's huh. like so when we leave Baltimore, we want to see Baltimore on our team's mm. chest. 
So when that jersey came out, that was yeah. the first one I got. Yeah. Because it had Baltimore in the front. Wow. I was like, I don't want Orioles on there. That's fine. And it has yeah. a really cool, like, patch that has, like, the Maryland flag on it. Oh, yeah. I was like, the, that's that, fire. the Maryland flag is, like, the best flag in the country. <laughs> like, it's, no, I, 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 like, I forget what happened one time. I was like, I looked at all the state's flags. I think it was because, like, some of my family members were, like, you know, they're very Maryland flag proud and yeah. it shows up on everything. And so I was looking at all the, all the flags of the country. And I was like, it actually is the best one. It's, like, the best flag. Yeah. It's, like, hardcore graphics. They're Absolutely. really good. Yeah. So uh, the Orioles, well, I was always kind of partial to the bird because I feel like everybody knows the bird. It's, like, so recognizable. It's also one of, like, the early teams, right? Yeah. Baltimore's um, teams. The it's funny when I, I did the interview with Todd Radom, he was uh, mentioned my favorite bird of the iterations, and he was like, "Yep, 1966." I was like, "Why did you know that?" He's like, "Technically, oh didn't God. make the jersey or a hat." And I was like, "Come on, man, don't kill it." He was just like, "You know, it was an alternative that they didn't use, but 1966 oh, was the year they won the World Series." And I was like, "Why do you have this?" And I was like, "I do the same thing when it comes to movies, so you know your lane." Yeah. Um, it's the uh, the uh, angry bird that has like the bat and looks oh, like. Oh yeah, 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 I yeah! Love I love one. that bird. I love that That's bird. That's one, yeah. Yeah, and I used to be a huge Orioles fan when I was growing up. So, <laughs> I, I got I got two more here. Um, favorite book? Oh, man. Um, I have a favorite author. There's a lot of books in here, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> so good on you on that. Yeah. My favorite author is this Japanese guy, Haruki Murakami. Yeah. Oh, you like him? Yes. Or you read him? Anyway, yeah. Oh, my God. So we have like... I say we like we just when everyone comes out either my husband gets it or I get it so he's my favorite author and I'm looking at one of the books right now in our house it's IQ 84 which is like crazy because he does this fantastical kind of writing it's like it feels really real and present in terms of time timing um, but like something fantastical always happens that takes it out of reality and you get totally transferred you just totally go with it and the, the way he writes about his characters it's what's it's with such sensitivity mm -hmm. um and care even if they're bad people like they're still sensitively sensitively dealt with so anyway he's so he's my favorite author um, what's your favorite book uh i i don't That's know if i have a good question i, I don't know. know if i have a favorite book um right now because i've literally like I've, I've struggled with it, this notion, like I'm, I'm a slow reader and I get daunted by it. So my way of consuming it has been like audiobooks, And it's like, okay, okay yeah. I can do multiple things. I can't quiet the brain to read. Um, but I remember it was this book, I think his, I think the dude's name is Thomas Clary's The Wisdom of Wolves. And no, sorry. It was, um, it was, it was called the uh, way of the samurai. That's what it was. And it was, uh, basically I used it along with this mindful meditation practice I was doing mm -hmm. that was aligned with like, uh, Bushido and things of that nature. It's like, I would really get caught on like catastrophizing everything. Oh, this is going to end. Terribly. I've never heard that catastrophizing. That's a good one. That was a word my therapist were around a few times and <laughs> He's like, you know that like samurai used to just sit there and envision their death in a really, really dramatic way because they know it's not going to happen that way, but they would do that to get over the fear of it. Mm -hmm. He's like, so maybe use that practice of this thing that you are sitting there thinking it's going to be a catastrophe. It's yeah. going to go horribly. He's like, just make it cartoony bad. Like, you know, an anvil is going to hit me while I'm on, like I'm doing a podcast. He's yeah. like, it'll never happen. Yeah. But the, the goal is to get yourself over this idea of failure or whatever, whatever is really like causing you concern and distress. Interesting. And um, that's one of the things that's in that book. Huh. 
So it was like reading it while going to like going to therapy. Um, did, so he, did your therapist recommend that book or did you happen to have it? I happen to have it. <laughs> oh, so I was like, they all just came together. Serendipitous, yeah. Yes. And um, this is the last one I got for you. So you, you mentioned earlier about comics. Mm-hmm. So uh, what's, what's a comic that you were reading growing up that you're like, you know what, I, I got to dip back in there? Yeah, growing up, so I was like young, because so, it's embarrassing to say this right now. Oh, wow. So, because um, I was, I don't know, 10, I guess, yeah. But <laughs> I don't even know if they still exist. They were Millie, Chili and Millie the models. They were these two girls, two white girls. <laughs> And they were like, they were models. And so they always had good clothes. And so I'd always draw them in their, like in their great get up. So Millie and Chili, the models. Um, and then Archie comic books. Nice. Yeah, yeah. And, um, those are, those are pretty much like, I didn't, re- I didn't read superhero comics. I was not, and I'm still not really into superhero stuff, but, um, yeah, no, those are them. I dig those it. They. I dig it. So, um, as, as we wrap here, uh, one, I want to thank you for being on this podcast. Thank you. And, and two, I want to invite and encourage you to really uh, share anything you feel like we didn't really key in on on, on this uh, this interview and um, tell the fine folks where to check you out online. Oh, thanks. Um, so, LinkedIn. <laughs> I, I mean, I have Instagram, but it's not really very interesting. Um, I, you know, so... Anyway, but yeah, Thomasine Dolan or Thomasine Dolan Dow on LinkedIn is is kind of you can contact me through that. Instagram is Tom Dolan, but um, which was the name when I had my I had my own clothing line for a few years. It's a women's line. It was called Tom Dolan, um, and because uh, I wanted to be kind of androgynous, so I, that's like I really like androgyny to some degree. You know, in terms of um, I, I do as well. <laughs> okay, yeah, I think I find that really appealing, and that's like back to the Tilda Swinton thing too, right? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so that's it. Let's, let's get my social media splurge. No, what's the word I'm like? Social media spiel. splurge. Ah, or splurge. spiel. Huh? Yes. Either or. Yeah. <laughs> I always joke and call it shameless plugs. Just like, yeah, just, just do it. Just make a buffoon <laughs> of yourself. Well, check out, check out material innovation, material, or MII's material innovation initiative. Sure. That would be, um, something to check out MII. Cause that's like, that's if you want to learn anything about these next gen materials. Um, for fashion, home, and auto. So there you have it, folks. I want to, again, thank Thomasine Dolan Dow for coming on to the podcast. And I'm Rob Lee saying that there is art, community, fashion, in and around your neck of the woods. You just got to look for it.